0: Welcome, welcome, here at Latham, at all our locations, online. We are finishing up this awesome series. How many love this series? One Month to Live. I'll tell you, I've been encouraged, I've been challenged by the series. And today we are finishing off the series appropriately with Legacy, leaving behind a legacy. And so in preparation for this sermon, I began to think about all the people that have been close to me and my life and people that have died and that have had a positive impact on my life. And the first person that I thought of was my grandfather, my mom's dad. He would have been 105 years old if he was alive today. Man, the time goes by passed away over 25 years ago, just over 25 years ago. And every summer, my mom would take my brother, my sister, and myself to visit them. They lived in Italy, and we would spend the entire summer break, two months out of the year, living with my grandparents. And when you live with somebody for two months out of the year, you really get to know them, right? And these are some of the words that I think of when I think back on my grandfather. Some of the words that I think about to describe his life, he was kind, he was compassionate, he was soft-spoken, gentle-hearted, he was a peacemaker. My mom tells me stories of how when my grandfather heard there was some strife, in one of the houses nearby, maybe the husband and wife were, were arguing or something with the children and the family there. My grandfather would pound down those doors and he would sit in their living rooms and he would encourage them and counsel them. Man, he was a peacemaker. He was a man of integrity, a man of character, a man of faith, a God-fearing man. But you know, I have this one vivid image of my grandfather when I think of him. And it's, he, was, he was a man that was not afraid to show his emotions. And he would every now and then weep. Not in a weird, uncontrollable way, you know, but every now and then you would see a tear go down his cheek. And I remember as a little child walking hand in hand with my grandfather as we walked down the street to get an ice cream. It's something we did often. I remember looking up the things we remember as children, isn't it? I remember looking up to him and I saw this tear go down his cheek. And of course, as a child, you don't know how to register that. You're thinking he's hurt, he's bothered by something. And so I asked him, why are you crying? And I never forget, he just clenched my hand a little tighter. And he looked down at me with a twinkle in his eye and a little smile. And he said, because I'm so blessed. And he realized how God has blessed his life. Not because he was a man of opulence and wealth, he was not. But he just realized deep within his soul how blessed of a man he was. And let me tell you, you could see that in any and every interaction you had with him. When my grandfather passed away, virtually the entire town of Limatola, as well as a number of people from surrounding Townships showed up to his funeral service to pay respects to a life well lived. Hey, don't we all want to finish well? Don't we all want to leave a positive impact on those that we leave behind our children, our grandchildren, our spouse, our family, our friends? But imagine just for a moment if someone were to come up to one of your loved ones after you passed away, and now they're asking this loved one of yours about you, and they say, hey, tell me a little bit about them. And could you imagine if they were at a loss for words to really explain something of significance to describe your life? And after some awkward silence, they say, oh, yeah, he, he loved football. He, he, he loved cars. She loved decorating. She loved gardening. Oh, they loved their jobs. But they had a hard time describing anything of significance. But even worse, imagine if they, if they said, he was such a jerk. That's worse. Or man, he was just always on edge. She was always miserable. She was just never content. She was so self-absorbed. No one wants to finish that way, no. We all want to leave a positive impact in the wake of our lives. Rabbi Harold Kushner said this, I am convinced that it is not the fear of death that haunts our sleep, but rather the fear that as far as the world is concerned, we might as well never have lived. No impact. Now, if that leaves some of you here today with a heavy heart and you're thinking, man, there's no way I'm going to be able to change the trajectory of my legacy, I've got some good news for you. You're alive. You're alive, and every one of us can change the trajectory of the legacy we leave behind. The bad news is we're going to die, so we better start today, right? That's why I love the series, One Month to Live, because it reminds us of how brief our life on earth is. It reminds us of this fact, no one knows the day we take our last breath. And then we begin to think this way. Am I living as intentionally as I ought to be living? You know, that's why the Bible oftentimes reminds us, you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die, such good news. But there are so many verses in the Bible that talk about it. Take a look at this. This is what David says in Psalm 39. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered. How fleeting my life is. His son, Solomon, says this in Ecclesiastes 7. A wise person thinks a lot about death. I love this one. While a fool thinks only about having a good time. And then Moses says this in Psalm 90. He gives a reason as to why we ought to be thinking about how brief our life is. Teach us to number our days. Why? Why? that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And a person who has a heart of wisdom is a person that realizes I am not here forever. It is a person who realizes every time they take a breath of air, as simple as that is, they realize I am not the one that created the air that sustains my life at this very moment. And it's a person who comes to the point in their lives that says, you know what, I want to know and I want to do the will of God. The will of God. I want to do the will of God. You know, a lot of people hear the will of God and they think, man, I don't want to do the will of God, thank you very much. I'd rather do my will, thank you, not God's will. And there's no doubt a tension that exists between the flesh, what we want to do, and the spirit, what God wants to do. Paul talks about that wrestling match in Romans 7. But you know what I think? I think when it comes to the end of our lives, when it comes to the legacy we want to leave behind, when it comes to taking our last breath in this world, I believe that tension between what God wants, what I want, is significantly reduced. If not, entirely eliminated see i don't care who you are deep within the soul of every human being when you take your last breath you want assurance that everything's going to be okay no fear no condemnation life in the presence of your creator god wants that too And you want to know when you take your last breath that your life had purpose and meaning and significance as you lived beyond just yourself. And God wants that too. And you want to know when you take your last breath that your family members have fond memories of you. Someone who blessed them and blessed others. And you know what? God wants that too. See, when it comes to the end of our lives, what God wants and what we want come together because God created you and God placed eternity in the hearts of every living being, every person. And so deep within our souls, we all want to finish well. We all want to leave a positive impact. We all want to have our life leave some meaning and purpose and significance. We all want to be remembered. Well, we all want to live beyond the grave in the presence of our creator. See, I don't want just a legacy. I want to leave behind a godly legacy. And God wants that too. That's what we're talking about today. Leaving boldly. So the natural question is, well, how do we do that? How do we leave boldly? How do we leave a godly legacy? Well, two to three times a year, I I like to read through the parables of Jesus. And as I was doing that recently and meditating on the parables, I realized, wow, there is just such good advice, no surprise, right, as to how we would go about leaving a godly legacy, and so what I want to do for the balance of our time today is just bring out two points from a number of the parables. So if you're taking notes, point number one is this, if you want to leave a godly legacy, you need to live the way God wants you to live. You're saying to yourself, what a genius. (laughs) It's so obvious, not easy, but very logical, and it should be. See, if you want to leave a godly legacy, you need to live a godly legacy. Our actions, our choices, our priorities today impact the legacy we leave behind. Paul in Galatians 6-7 said this, Do not be deceived. You cannot mock God. You reap what you sow. And what he's saying there is our actions today will shape our legacy Tomorrow, you know, I love the farming metaphor of sowing and reaping. And the reason is because it's so simple to apply to our everyday lives, right? You get out of life what you put into life. If you sow apple seeds, you get apples. If you sow lemons, you get lemons. So do not be all self-centered and self-absorbed and think people are just going to want to be around you and be selfish towards you. They're not. And don't think if you go ahead and hoard all the blessings that God has gifted and given you, that other people are going to be generous towards you. They are not. Therefore, we ought not to live in a way today that contradicts the legacy we want to leave deep within our souls tomorrow. Logical, right? And yet oftentimes, I think we do that. And I think one of the big reasons as to why is this thing called time between sowing and reaping. Right, if I sow apple seeds today, I don't reap apples today. It takes time and effort and work. And that same principle is at work in our lives oftentimes. This thing called time in between sowing the things we do and reaping what we get as a result of the things we do. And that time can derail us. It can distract us, and we can begin to do things today that deep within our souls will take us far away from the legacy we want to leave deep within us. And what happens is this faulty mindset comes into play, and it's a mindset from the enemy, and it is this. Today isn't really that important when we think about our legacy tomorrow. It's not that important And so we can begin to think, yeah, I know I ought to spend time with my children, but. Yeah, I know, I know I ought to be more understanding in that relationship, but. Yeah, I know I ought to stop doing this one thing, fill in the blank, a sin that maybe entangles you, but we go ahead and do it anyway. Why? Because we think tomorrow we can just change. Tomorrow is the day will make it all better. And so we neglect relationships today and we do things that we otherwise know deep within our souls we ought not to do. We do it today because we think tomorrow is the day for change. But everyone of us knows no one here has a guarantee on tomorrow. And Paul reminds us in Galatians 6, 7, Don't deceive yourselves. No one will mock God. We will reap what we sow eventually. And that's why it's so important when we think about legacy, it's so important to base everything we do on a solid foundation of truth. Well, Jesus sees all the people gathering around him, more than normal, and he perches himself on the ledge of this hillside. And he begins to preach the greatest sermon that has ever been preached in the history of the world, the Sermon on the Mount. It is the longest piece of teaching consecutively by Jesus. It's in Matthew, takes up all of Matthew 5, 6, and chapter 7. And Jesus concludes this powerful teaching with this parable that I want to go over with you today, the parable of the wise and foolish builder, starting in verse 7, chapter, uh, starting in verse 24, chapter 7 of Matthew. Therefore, all right, therefore, everything I've said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it didn't fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man or woman who built his house on the the sand. The rain came down. The streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it it fell with a great crash. See, in this parable, the house is the life we are building, and God, Jesus, is the rock, the foundation. And the person who hears the words of Jesus and puts them into practice is a person who builds their life on the solid rock. God's values guide their thoughts, their actions, their habits, their character, their destiny. It impacts their legacy. The other person, the fool in this parable, they hear the teachings of Jesus, but they don't do anything with it. They don't put it into practice. And again, Jesus refers to that person as a fool. In another parable, the parable of the soils, Jesus further elaborates on this person, the fool, who hears the words of Jesus but does not take action on it. The word does not take root in their heart. And in this parable, there are four types of soils, each one representing a life. And of the four, three would be classified as fools. The person with a callous heart who hears the words of Jesus but just disregards them, says, man, I don't want this. My way. The second person is the one who has a comfortable life. And when they hear the words of Jesus, man, they are like, I love this. This is good. I'm inspired by this. I'm encouraged by the word. When push comes to shove, when the rubber meets the road, they're not willing to take sacrifice in following Jesus. And so their comfortable life, wins out and they don't follow the words of Jesus. And the third person is the one who has a crowded life and they too, man, they like what they hear. They are encouraged, woo! They are inspired, I love it. But the cares of the world, the desires to have more in this world, the temptations of life crowd out the word of God and there's no growth. They don't follow through. They do not put the words of Jesus into practice. And Jesus would refer to all of them as fools. You say, why? Because they are basing their lives on that which in the end don't last. Your career... Your possessions, your health, your looks, your hobbies, you. And Jesus says, when you do that, you're building your life on shifting sand. And when the rain comes down, which is problems in this parable, and the wind blows, and the water begins to rise, and you're confronted with the bankruptcy, the layoff. You're confronted with that terrible accident, with that broken relationship, with that horrible cancer diagnosis. You begin to shake at the foundations. And that's when we all look up, if you're in that situation, and you say, now what? Now what do I do? I mean, I've been centering my life on this, and now it's fleeing. What do I do? You know, there's something that both the wise and foolish builder have in common in this parable, and it is this. They both experience problems. We live in a fallen world. Don't be surprised when the problems come. And I don't know... Your problem may be today, maybe at work, maybe at school, maybe with a relationship, a health issue, financial difficulties. I don't know what your problems may be today, but hear me, every single one of us will have trouble. Jesus in John 16:33 reminds us of this. He says, "Hey, in this world, you will have trouble." As the saying goes, live long enough and you will bleed. And the troubles in our life produce pressure. And the question is this, what does the pressure reveal? For the wise man, the wise builder in this parable, the pressure revealed faith. Why? Because they are people of faith. They have yielded to the lordship of Christ. They have meditated on the word. They have a relationship with God through prayer. They have built the support system with like-minded Christian friends. And so when the rain comes and the winds blow and the water level rises, they do what they always do. They draw near to God, Jesus said, Yes, you will have trouble. Right after he said that, he said this, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And that means this when you stand firm on the solid rock, there is nothing this life can throw at you that will collapse you. He didn't say, I'll make sure you don't have trouble. He didn't say, I will get you around them. He said, I will be there to carry you through. You will stand firm when the pressures come, and they're coming. On the other hand, the foolish builder, when the problems come for them, does not reveal faith. Because their faith is based on that which is shallow. There is no root to it. There is no substance to their faith. And so when the troubles of life come, the pressure reveals fear, anxiety, anger, frustration. And they begin to shake. And Jesus said in this parable, When the pressure of life comes, you will fall with a big crash. That parable is all about leaving a godly legacy. You can't do it if you've fallen down. That's why it's so important to base everything we do on the solid foundation of truth. You say, how do I know if God is at the center of my life? How do I know? Well, one of the things we certainly can look to is you know when God is at the center, when you have extraordinary peace and you stop worrying. I heard a statement and I really like it. It's this, obedience starts with trust and it ends with trust. I trust, God, that your ways are better than my ways. Therefore, I obey you. And when I obey you, I trust that everything will be okay. And there's a lot of peace to that. Corey Ten Boone said, Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. I want to tell you a story about a friend of mine. His name is Jim. He lives in Ohio, and he told me it was okay to share this story. In fact, he was encouraging me, share it. Share my name, my last name. Give him my address, my phone number. I want to help as many people with my story as I can. And Jim would tell you of his own admission that he was a Christian by name only, And every so often, certainly, he would listen to sermons, and he liked what he heard, but like the fool in that parable, he never put it into practice. He never developed a godly relationship with his heavenly Father through prayer. He never meditated much on the Word. He never really had any fellowship with like-minded believers, and frankly, he was pretty self-centered in his relationships. And, that it, and then what had happened was a lot of pressure and problems began to surface in his life. And within a very brief period of time, a very short window of time, Jim struggled financially. He lost his business. He filed for bankruptcy. He had some serious health issues. His marriage of 15 years ended. He was floored. Absolutely devastated. And if Jim were to die at that point in his life, frankly, he would have left a pretty bad legacy. But the problems of life for Jim actually led him to the Lord. You know, that happens to many people. C.S. Lewis once said, it's the problems of life that are a megaphone to rouse a deaf world to look up to God. And that's exactly what happened with Jim. And as he was sharing with me the lowest point of his life, he said it all made sense. He said, this is what happens when you take control of your own life. I was like, I'm going to take control, God. I don't want what you want. And he said, it makes sense. This is what happens. And he goes, I drove my life in the gutter. And when he was at his lowest point, he just decided once and for all, I am yielding my life to Christ. And he made Jesus the foundation of his life, and he began rebuilding his life on the solid rock. That was four years ago, roughly. About a week ago, I was speaking. Two weeks ago, I was speaking with Jim, and he was giving me an update, as he often does. And he was just so passionate about what he's doing, and he encourages me, really. I am so encouraged when I talk to people like Jim. And he was just sharing with me his passion about the church, his passion about the small groups that he is leading, his passion about the missions work that he's involved in, that is helping the less fortunate. I say, Jim, man, you're blowing me away. The transformation is unbelievable. Jim was literally 180 degrees different today than he was just a few years ago. You know what he says to me when I say that? He goes, that's what happens when you move God from your head. Yeah, I hear the word. Woo! I hear the word, but I don't do it. I don't follow through. That's what happens when you move it from your head to your heart. I hear it, and I put it into practice. And he said, all I did is I just drew near to God, and he equipped me to do the things he wanted me to do that I've always known deep within my soul I should have been doing. And he goes, now, my life is not an easy life, but my life is a blessed life filled with joy and, he said this, peace. There it is, peace. How do you know? Peace. Peace. See, friends, there is no shortcut. If we want to leave a godly legacy, we got to live the way God wants us to live. And as we draw near to him, he will empower us to do what is impossible, to live the way he wants us to live. Point number two, have the right attitude. Have right attitude, oh, how important this is. Yes, our actions are very important, but you know, God is also interested in our attitude. He's interested in our heart, our motivation, the things that precede our actions. That's why many parables that Jesus speaks to speak to the heart. Thankful, be humble, be forgiving, right? Pastor Rick Warren said this, every human activity except sin, every human activity can be done for God's pleasure if you do it with the right attitude, with an attitude of praise. But you know, I believe there's a number of people here that can get somewhat discouraged. When we talk about leaving a godly legacy, especially the older we get, you know, and you begin to think, it's too late. I've Wasted so many years, man. I've blown it. And I can't change this legacy. I can't do anything to change the trajectory of the legacy I want to leave behind. And you can beat yourselves up. You really can. But God doesn't want that for anybody. Does he want us learning from our mistakes? Yes. Absolutely. But he don't want you down for the count. No, you got to get up. you got to get back in there. That's why so many parables of Jesus speaks to the grace of God. Have you ever noticed that? So many speak to the grace of God. The parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, parable of the prodigal son, all of that is to drive home this point. God loves you no matter what. There's nothing you can do. You can't go too far for his love. And there are parables that really address how much God values you and how much he finds worth in you. Otherwise, he would not have come and died on a cross for you. He loves you. And so often, Jesus is reminding us of the grace in these parables. But you know, there's this one parable I want to spend a little bit of time on The parable of the workers in the vineyard, and it gives a real interesting insight into the grace of God. And it's a parable found in Matthew 20. I will not go through this, it's a long parable. I'm going to paraphrase it. But before Jesus speaks this parable, which, by the way, he's speaking it specifically to his disciples. Before he speaks this parable and teaches this parable, he's confronted by this young, rich man. And this young man comes up to Jesus and he asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You remember this? And then Jesus begins to to give some commandments. Do not kill, do not steal, honor your father and your mother. The young man is getting so excited. These are simple. Do not kill, I do not kill. Do not steal, I'm wealthy, I don't steal. Honor your father and mother. It's easy. And so he asks a follow-up question. He says, Lord, I I got this covered. What else must I do to enter eternal life? And then Jesus, he probably wished he did not ask that second question. And then Jesus tests his heart. He said, go ahead, sell everything you own. Get the proceeds, give it to the poor, and follow me. To which the young man said, say what? Are you, (laughs) you kidding me? And he, and he put his head down sadly and walked away. And then Jesus sees a teaching moment, looks to his disciples, and he says, It is easier for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to inherit eternal life. And when Jesus said that, his disciples didn't say, Amen, preach it. <laughs> that that sloth, not giving anything away, didn't say that. In fact, they were a bit taken back, and they asked the question, who then will inherit eternal life? And then Jesus points to the future renewal that is to come. He points to the new covenant that is to come. His death, his resurrection, and he says with man, it's all impossible, which is true. We all fall short. It's an impossibility without God to enter eternal life. But then he says, but with God, I love this, all things are possible. Meanwhile, Peter is still thinking about that conversation Jesus had with that rich young man. And he's sitting there thinking to himself, hey, wait a minute, man. We did exactly what Jesus told him to do. We gave everything up. We're following Jesus. And so he goes up to Jesus. He goes, hey, Jesus, we did exactly what you told that young rich man to do. We did it. We did it. What's in it for me? What do we get? What do we get? What do we get? <laughs> I love the Bible. The stories are incredible. And Jesus said, yes, you're going to be blessed. You faithfully serve me, you're going to be blessed. But then he gives this parable to the disciples. He said there's a rich landowner, he owns a vineyard. And he gets up very early and at the crack of dawn, about 6 a.m., he goes into the marketplace because he needs some workers for the vineyard. And he goes out, and he sees a group of people there, and he goes up to them and says, hey, I need some workers, would you be willing to work? Yes, we would. And they agree on a sum of money, and let's just say it's $100. And they agree to it, and they go off and work. About three hours later, the landowner realizes I need some more workers in my vineyard, and so at 9 a.m., he goes back into the marketplace, sees some workers there. He goes up to them and says, hey, would you like to work in my vineyard? They say, sure, okay. But rather than giving a set wage, he says, I will pay you a fair and reasonable wage. They agree. They go off to work. He does that same thing at noon, three hours later. Goes into the marketplace, finds some workers, asks them if they would like to work. They said, yes. Okay, I will pay you a fair and reasonable wage. That makes sense. It does. They go off to work. He does that same thing 3 p.m., three hours later, and then at 5 p.m., two hours later, and the workday ends at 6 p.m. Come 6 p.m., the landowner goes up to the farm and says, okay, gather all the workers. It is pay time. Start with the first ones. Start with the last ones first, the ones that just worked one hour. He gathered them, and he gave them $100. And they were very surprised. They were like, man, this is generous. We barely got our equipment out to begin working, and you gave us $100 for an hour's wages. Hours worth of work. This is great. And they leave. Meanwhile, the people that started at 6 a.m., who oh, they were getting excited. They were getting excited. They're thinking, hey, man, basic math. Hmm, we should get at least $1,200. I mean, this is exciting to them. In fact, they said, man, we've been out in the sun all this time. Nonsense. We're going to get 1500 bucks." And they, they begin to plan, of course. They begin to plan their weekend away. We're going to have filet mignon tonight. I'm going to take the family out. Tonight is payday. When finally the landowner gets to them, he gives them $100. And they are angry. And they're grumbling under their breath. And the landowner comes back and says, what's the problem? Didn't we agree? $100. And they said, yes, but it's not fair. I mean, come on, you gave these guys that barely started working the same amount of money that you gave us, and we've been slaving for 12 hours? It's not fair. And then the landowner said, can't I do with my money what I wish to do? And then Jesus ends this parable with this phrase, or are you envious of my generosity? And the teaching's done. Now in that parable, God is the landowner. Those of us who come to faith in Christ are the workers. We all come at different times in our lives. And I love the finite element to the story. You can come during the day, but at 6 p.m. it's over. Now, from an economic perspective, this parable makes absolutely no sense. Every one of us sympathizes with those early workers, right? Like, it's not fair. But the point of the parable is this. God does not pay wages. God gives gifts. And so If you came to Christ, let's just say at 15 years old, and you have faithfully served God for 55 years, hear me, God doesn't owe you anything. Why? Because he already gave us everything. It's called grace. Doesn't mean you are not going to be blessed if you faithfully serve God. You will. Doesn't mean there's not going to be rewards in heaven when you faithfully serve. There will be. But all of that flows out of the grace of God. For were not for the grace of God, there would be no cross, no cross, no resurrection, no resurrection, no salvation, no salvation, no hope, no hope, nothing. Philip Yancey, in his book entitled, What's So Amazing About Grace, speaks about this parable, and he says this, none of us get paid according to merit, for none of us comes close to satisfying God's requirements for a perfect life. Paid on the basis of fairness, not fair, we would all end up in hell. So if you feel discouraged, if you feel a little bit frustrated deep within your soul and thinking, man, I blew it, I blew it, I wasted so much time, let the grace of God draw you near to him. Let the grace of God draw you near to him and he will help you change the trajectory of the legacy you leave behind. But hear me, You've got to start today. Draw near today. Today is the day for change. Whether you come at the 11th hour, he looks at you no differently than if you came much earlier in life. You know, I'm always blown away when I think about the last conversation our Lord and Savior had before he died on the cross. It's with that criminal that hung beside him. And that criminal was mocking Jesus like everybody else was. If you're the Savior of of the world, save yourself. And they were mocking him and some were spitting upon Jesus. But when that criminal got his first glimpse of the grace of God, his heart melted. And it was when Jesus, in the midst of all the mocking, in the midst of the torture, in the midst of the spitting, says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The man immediately became humble. And it immediately drew him near to Jesus. And his heart melted. That's what grace does when you're open to it. When you don't abuse it. And you remember what that prisoner said to Jesus? He said, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you enter Kingdom. And Jesus did not look at him and say, Never! You did nothing for me! He didn't say that. Jesus saw his heart. And he said, Today, you will be with me in paradise. That's grace. That's grace. You know, the Apostle Paul says, it is the grace of God that draws us near to him. And when we draw near to Jesus, when we draw near to our heavenly Father, he will empower us to leave boldly. He will empower us to leave boldly. And deep within the soul of every single one of us, is this desire to finish well. Yeah. I want to finish well. I want to leave a positive impact in the wake of my life. I want to be remembered well by my loved ones as they reflect on my life. They think of one who blessed them and blessed others. I want to realize and think at the end of my life that my life had meaning and purpose and significance and deep within the soul of all of us is yes, I want to live beyond the grave. We don't just want to leave a legacy. We want to leave a godly legacy. And friends, God wants that too. So here's the challenge. Draw near to him daily. Depend on Him daily and be empowered by the Spirit daily as you strive to leave a godly legacy. Today is the day for change. Amen? Father God, you are so good to us. Father, my prayer is that we, as stubborn people sometimes, my prayer, Father, is that you would just pierce our hearts with the truth of your love and with the beauty of your grace. For there is nothing under the heavens, under the sun. That is anything like your grace. It is unbelievable. There is nothing like it. And I pray that every one of us that hears these words would be moved ever so closer to you through our Lord Jesus Christ. And may they always be encouraged that through you and in you, we can in fact live the way you would want us to live. So we leave this world boldly. And the only reason why that is so important is when your followers leave boldly, you get all the glory. And we thank you for that.